morning, everybody. It's very cold outside. And uh, it's okay. There's four weeks a year that I can wear my Florida State hoodies. And today happened to be one of them. Um, we have a very interesting message for you today. By the way, my name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at the Garden. And um, today is going to be a little bit of a controversial message. I know that shocks you coming from me. <laughs> Controversy. But I want to wish you all an offensive Christmas. I could see, all week I was singing that. You know how sometimes a song gets stuck in your head? We wish you an offensive Christmas. We wish you an... I just, all week, I was singing that song. And it just warmed my heart. We're going to talk about Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. It's one of the servant prophecies. A prophecy of the coming of Messiah. But what Isaiah does, and by the way, the book of Isaiah is a very interesting book. Uh, most scholars believe it was actually written by three different people. And this is the last section. And this section of the book of Isaiah, just to make sure you understand, this was written in a time where the nation of Israel was in exile. They weren't near the temple, so they didn't have temple worship. They were in another country. They were in the Babylonian exile. And they're in a situation where, wait a minute, I thought there was a promise about King David's throne to be established forever. How could this happen? How could the mighty deliverer allow us to be in exile to these heathens, these Gentiles? Are we still even God's people? Is God really even still God? And see, what had happened was <clears throat> the nation of Israel in exile had this defined picture of what hope was supposed to look like. What it looked like was King David 2.0. They were waiting for a military leader to come back and to lead an army of Israelites against their enemies and destroy everyone around them that was causing them to be oppressed and set up a kingdom again that looked like Solomon's kingdom where the whole world recognized the power, the wisdom, and the glory of the throne of David. That was their picture of hope. That was their picture of peace. That was their picture of joy. They were waiting for a great king, a warrior, a leader, and a fighter, but instead, this is what they got. Keep in mind where they are in exile, waiting for a great Messiah. And so you can imagine how Christmas, the first Christmas message, could have been very offensive. And I just got some things up there that I wanted to show you. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. I like that sweater. <laughs> That's for Megan. She loves cats. All I want for Christmas is to punch you. Happy whatever doesn't offend you. So now, now that your mindset is right, I wanted to get rid of the warm fuzzies this morning, all right? Get out of the, the eggnog and this hot cider and the Christmas tree and the stockings and the fire and the chestnuts. Get that all out of your mind. Because we're talking about real Christmas today. 
you can follow along and if you have a Bible app on your phone or you have a Bible or you can read it up on the screen. I'm going to read you the, the prophecy that Isaiah writes to these Jews who are waiting for a great military leader. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He clarifies, this is Messiah. He will not cry aloud. He will not lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth, forth justice. Right there you can see that this is not a grand military leader that they are waiting for. This guy's not even going to break a blade of grass, it says. <clears throat> he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he establishes justice to all the earth and the coastlands await for his law. In other words, he's talking about Gentile nations. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it. So there it's very interesting. He says this Messiah you're waiting for is not going to be loud. He's not going to be a warrior. He's not going to be a soldier. He's not going to come to seek and to, to kill and destroy. He's going to come to seek and save that which was lost. But then in verse 5 he says, don't worry, there still is power. I'm the Lord. I created everything. I spread out the earth. And then he says, I give breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand. I will keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prisoners, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you. You know what he does in this second half of the passage? He rips on religion. I'm the one that calls. I'm the one that enlightens. I'm the one that sets prisoners free. I'm the one that brings people out of darkness. I'm the one that keeps you. It's me. It's not you. And he says all those things in the past, I'm telling you right now before it happens, those are all gone. This is a new day. So can you imagine... <clears throat> why this Christmas prophecy would be offensive to the average Jewish person who's sitting in exile? Let's look at some of the reasons why this would be so offensive. First of all, Messiah would not be another military savior like David, but he would be a servant. We see that in verse 1 through 3. I'm not going to bruise a reed. I'm not even going to put out a candle. So you can see this right away. The first, you know, we think of Christmas, peace, hope, joy. Right away, this crushes the hopes of those hoping for a return to world providence. Political prominence for the throne of David. Could you imagine if you're a Jew and the first thing the prophet says, by the way, the Messiah, he's not going to be what you think. He's not going to be a military leader. There's another reason why the Christmas message would be offensive. Messiah was not just for Israel, but for all nations. We see that in verse 3 through 6, where he talks about the fact that he's going to call out those who are actually holding Israel in exile. He says, I'm going to use my servant, my chosen one, not only to save you, but to save those who hold you in exile. 
Can you see how if you're a Jew, this would be very offensive. What? He's not going to be a military leader and he's coming to bless the people who are oppressing us? Are you kidding me? How is that right? Can you see how that would be a very offensive prophecy? And then, another reason why it would be offensive, Messiah would do the work of salvation, not the religious leaders. In verse 6 through 8, it clearly spells this out. The religious zealousness of the Pharisees at this point is being rendered powerless. He says, I have called you. I will keep you. I will open your eyes. I will set you free. You remember the conflict that always existed between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day? This is Isaiah prophesying that, and we will see that later when I look at another passage in Matthew. But this is clearly a prophecy about Jesus, the Messiah, being in conflict with the religious culture and structures that would exist. As a matter of fact, if you remember correctly, here's what Jesus said about the religious aspect in a fulfillment of this prophecy. I will tear down this temple and I will build it again in three days. Do you remember that? And Isaiah says at the end of his prophecy, new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you. God was saying this, what you assumed was going to happen is not my plan. It's not just about Israel being blessed anymore. It's about how all nations, even those who oppress you, will be blessed through you. So here in this prophecy, at this great time of national dismay, God explains how his promises would not be targeted just to Israel, but toward all those he would call. All those that he would enlighten. It says that in Isaiah, I call you, I bring you out of darkness. It would apply to all those he sets free. Now look at the context of this in a prophecy in Matthew. Let me read this passage. Jesus, aware of this, what was he aware of? In the previous verse it says this, Jesus knew that religious leaders were plotting to trap him so they could destroy him. Why would the religious leaders want to destroy Jesus? Because they knew he was going to disrupt the Jewish culture of religion. He, they knew that he was going to render them powerless in the salvation process, which was their livelihood, which was their identity. They also knew that he was not this Messiah that everybody thought was coming, this religious or this military leader. They said, this can't be the Messiah. We've got to get rid of him so the real Messiah can come. And here's what Jesus does. Jesus, aware of that thing that I just laid out for you, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all <laughs> and ordered them not to make it known. He will not make his voice cried out in the street. That's what the prophet Isaiah said. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, a direct correlation right here. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick 
he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and in his, his name the Gentiles will hope. Isaiah said the coastlands will hear justice. The Gentiles will hope. See, this gives us more insight, guys, into what Isaiah was trying to communicate. The fact that Isaiah is referenced in this story in Matthew right after Jesus has a conflict with the religious leaders. Right after that, this is, gives us a little bit of insight, and it makes it very clear the contrast of the Christmas message with the temple message. The Pharisee message with the faith message. And what he says is this. Salvation is not by works. It's not by religion. It's by those who I call, those who I hold, those who I keep, those who I set free, and those I enlightened. Religious leaders, you in fact are powerless in salvation and you will be powerless to reset your throne as you envisioned it, the way Solomon had it. That's not what the job of my chosen Messiah is going to be. So let's look at this and look, compare the Christmas message to the gospel message. And there is a connection there, right? Isaiah's Christmas prophecy was clearly offensive because it teaches that Israel was depraved and helpless and at the mercy of who? God's grace. They would no longer have special power to command God's blessing over those whom he had called or would call, even if they were Gentiles, even if they were Gentiles who were holding them in captivity. And the scripture teaches us that the true gospel itself is just as offensive as that first Christmas message was to the Jews. Because it also teaches that man is powerless, that man is depraved, that man is helpless and at the mercy of God's grace. In fact, Paul taught many times that the gospel message was offensive. And he said that if we try to make it warm and fuzzy, the gospel loses its power. Galatians 1, 6 through 10. I'm going to read a couple passages to you. I am a, here's what Paul says about the gospel. And he's talking to the church in Galatia. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. And you're turning now to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you. And because of that, you want to distort the gospel of Christ. But we, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a false gospel, a different gospel contrary to the one that we have preached to you, let him be accused. Look what he says in verses 9 and 10. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now, I am not seeking, I should be not. I am not seeking the approval of man, but of God. Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And here's what I think happens. This is the biggest problem with the postmodern church movement. 
with the likes of some teachers like Rob Bell and Brian McLaren. And it seems like that might be really far off. And what they teach is this. The gospel doesn't have to be so offensive. The gospel doesn't have to be so harsh. The gospel doesn't have to be all about Jesus. It can be about goodness. No, it cannot. And what begins to happen is we begin to soft-pedal the gospel because we're afraid of what some people might think. Paul said that in Galatians. Are we afraid of certain men that we have to change the gospel message? And in case you think this problem is far off in another state, there's a big church in our community that's thriving as far as membership, and it preaches this false gospel. We don't really have to have trust in Jesus. The Word of God isn't the main source of truth. See, this promotes the idea of making the gospel, just like Christmas, less offensive by changing its core message. But when we do that, guys, this is important. This is something we're never going to do here at Church of the Palms and at the Garden. We are never going to rob the gospel of its power by stripping out the truth. Yes, we want to love and we want to be relevant and we want to be accepting. We understand that. We don't want to be harsh, judgmental, arrogant, Bible-thumping people. That's not our goal. But I'll tell you what we won't do. We will not compromise the offensiveness of the gospel. We can't do that. Because if we do that, we do that at the expense of what makes the gospel so powerful and so different from all other religious messages in the world. All other religious messages say man has a hand in it. Man can earn it. Man can have merit. The gospel says man has no hope without Christ. Man can't earn it. Man can't keep it. Only God can grab you by the hand. Only God can keep you. Only God can save you. That's why the gospel is offensive, but that's also where the power of the gospel lies. <clears throat> Paul teaches us, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation. Not some soft-pedaled message that says, you know what? Jesus loves us all, peace, hope, and joy. No, Jesus says you are depraved and except you enter through me who died on the cross for your sin, you don't have any hope. You don't have any peace. You don't have any joy. Now think about how we peddle the message of Christmas. Hope, peace, joy, warm apple cider. We as a Christian nation, we as a Christian family have done a very good job of taking, of trying to take out what is offensive about Christmas. I'm not talking about the war on Christmas. I'm not talking about some political stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that we peddle this idea of Christmas that doesn't have any judgment. And looking backwards as Gentiles, we look at the Christmas message the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love. But that first message of Christmas was exactly the opposite, was it not? I mean, to the average Jewish person who hadn't been enlightened, they saw the first Christmas message as something that crushed their hopes. It crushed their dreams. They saw it as something that would keep them in exile from their human perspective, that would keep them from peace. 
that robbed them of freedom, robbed them of joy. And no doubt, it made them angry with Isaiah. You think Isaiah was really popular then? You think he could have run for office? By the way, Jewish nation, you're not going to be like Solomon's throne again. What? Who are you? Why are you? What do you mean? We've been waiting for this for generations, and now you're telling me it's not going to happen? It's important for us to understand this so Christmas isn't cheapened. Christmas was not hopeful for everyone. Christmas wasn't joyful for everyone. To some, Christmas was tragic, offensive, a prophecy that crushed their patriotic dreams. And just like Easter is not all Easter eggs and bunny, Christmas isn't all carols, candles, and candy canes. Christmas is the story of the Savior. Christmas is a story that is offensive if we don't trust in the Savior. Because the Christmas story says we cannot save ourselves. The Christmas story is hopelessness if it's not coupled with the gift of faith. Without faith, it's actually now, get this, Christmas without faith is actually a message of judgment because it renders you helpless without the calling that Isaiah clearly mentioned in verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand. I will keep you. I will set you free. I will bring you out of darkness. Not you, me. So you can begin to see the connection between this offensive Christmas prophecy and this, what the Scripture talks about with the Gospel. And doesn't it make sense? Because isn't, after all, the genesis of the Gospel the Christmas message? Isn't it? I mean, the reason that we have a Savior who suffered and died on the cross because of our depravity so that we might live, the reason is because He came as Messiah in the first place as a baby. The message of Christmas is hope, peace, and joy, but only if you've been given the gift of faith. And here's what I want to share with you, right, as I kind of close up this concept. Without faith in Jesus, honestly, just make Christmas whatever you want. Just make it whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. Because Christmas without Jesus cannot be hope. Christmas without Jesus cannot be peace. Christmas without Jesus cannot be love. It can only be judgment. That's the true message of Christmas. Yes, it's hope, peace, and love, but only when coupled with Jesus. There is no magical seasonal spirit that makes everyone better at Christmas. Christmas doesn't cover sin. Jesus covers sin. 